Hello and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Lockie Bradford. And I'm Robbie Hicks. And on today's episode, uh, we have something a bit different coming at you on a Thursday. Lock, don't we? We've got big bad Anthony Ellison. Oh, mate, what a treat it was to sit down with Anthony. Um, going through some hard times at the moment, but I think his perspective and his thoughts about the whole situation, having, having bowel cancer and um, going through that at the moment, um, really refreshing take, wasn't it? I just think for a lot of people who might be struggling, if you've gone back into lockdown and you're struggling with a few, a few things around mindset, um, I just think this will give you a fresh perspective and it definitely opened our eyes to, I guess, the mental strength that people have out there that are going through some pretty fucking shit things. Yeah, so hopefully, um, yeah, if you listen, you take something out of it because I know I did for sure and um, just wish Anthony all the best in, on his journey and uh, make sure you go follow him on Instagram. He's a fucking inspiring dude and uh, wish him all the best. Perfect, thank you so much for jumping on and uh, having a chat with us this morning. Uh, we'd like to kick it off with a nice easy one, which is who are you and what do you do? Yeah, sweet. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name's Anthony Ellison. I'm a fitness coach with the Australian Institute of Fitness. So I teach the personal training qualification. That's kind of my, my bread and butter. Um, but then most recently, I'm a stage four bowel cancer survivor. Yeah, that's, that's, that's me in a nutshell. Well, Nicky boy, Nick Crocker uh, hooked us up with this chat. Thanks. Thanks to uh, big Nicky boy there and sent us across a YouTube video. And we're just saying before we clicked on air, I've watched the first 10 minutes and I started crying in the first 10 minutes. So I don't know how we're going to go today, but if you could take us back and sort of delve into that, to that story and, and yeah, if you could sort of kick it, kick it off and, and explain that, how it all happened for you and, and yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so back in October, 2019 um actually a little before that i presented to my gp with a um with just a sudden change of bowel habits just a bit of persistent diarrhea i just got back from a i guess i'd call it a three-day bender up at coffs harbour with a couple of my mates uh we'd been up there for a uh, a punting and drinking weekend and you know a bit of golf thrown in there um and then on the back of that i just had this sort of persistent diarrhea which i thought you know, fair enough. That's my body paying me back from what I've just done the last couple of days. But it kind of lingered for, you know, a good seven to 10 days afterwards, enough for me to go to the GP and just touch base. And um, well, yeah, over the next three months, um, it started, you know, it started with a couple of blood tests and, you know, I don't think it's anything. Um, maybe we'll do a stool test. Let's have a look and, and test your poo and see if there's anything going crazy in there. I ended up finding some blood in all three samples of my, my stool. Um, and again, my GP at the time was saying, I think it's just going to be um, some, you know, hemorrhoids or something. I think, you know, I don't think it's cancer. You'll be sweet. Um, and then he booked me for a, a colonoscopy. And so I went in and did that. And then I was met in recovery um, by the colorectal surgeon. Uh, and he said, look, we've found a mass in your bowel uh, and there's some query spots in your liver. I'm going to send you for an immediate CT. And I'd only just come to, I was just sort of lying in the bed, a bit sort of dazed and confused after coming out of one of those things. And he said, look, your wife's on the way. My wife's um, a doctor. Um, so she was, you know, on her way pretty quickly. And she met me just before going in for the scan. And we still didn't really, uh, it didn't res resonate too much with us at that point. Um, but then sure enough, three days later, I um, received a phone call and he said, look, we've got some bad news. It was a bad scan. Um, it looks like he got stage four bowel cancer uh, and it's 
spread quite badly to your liver. You've got about 20 um, tumors all across your liver. It's not, a, it's not localized, it's basically widespread, which means we can rule out surgery and we wanna start you on palliative chemotherapy um, in the hope of extending your life as long as we can um, and see if potentially some other treatment options become available. So that- um, Like that would've been a scary moment. Yeah, that was a that was a massive kick in the guts. And the next the next couple of days was pretty f- full on. Like we had some pretty crazy chats. We went pretty deep into sadness and and fear and anger and embarrassment. And geez, I went through everything really. Um, and then I was kind of snapped out of it for my fortieth birthday, um, which I'd, I'd been planning for nine months prior. Um, all my mates coming down to the big four at, um, at where was it, Uminer, uh, and their family. So about 40 of us uh, assembled down there. But three, you know, three days earlier, I was told it was, um, this could be my last birthday. And um, so that, that weekend was really spent, um, it was highly emotive, that's for sure. Um, but just a lot of real honest chat with mates that, you know, I've been mates with for, for decades and decades, a lot of schoolmates and some even longer than that, primary school and guys that I lived, um, you know, grew up next door. Um, and I, I received at that point a heap of love and support, you know, the kind of love and support you, you almost get from going to people's funerals and hearing, um, you know, how amazing they were and how they affected people's lives I kind of got in front of it and received that amount of love from from not only my mates but also their wives and their kids, and it was just um, it really stoked a fire in me, and, and it changed it kicked, it kicked me out the butt, and it, and it snapped me out of my funk, and it was enough for me to roll in the next day or two days later for for chemotherapy, and and just realised that all right, this is I've got a bit of control, I'm presenting a little bit differently than what a lot of other stage four bowel cancer survivors would and they're you know they're over 60s they've got comorbidities they're they've led a poor lifestyle no exercise no you know poor diet I'm diabetic you know all these other things but I was sort of coming in what I thought was fit and healthy so turning up to the start line for me was um was a big driver I'm like all right I, I reckon I can I can give this a red hot crack um if I create a strong network around me and that was my my headspace going in so you take you from what Locke mentioned, you trained most of the way through your treatment. Well, is that did you do research around this and say this is the way to do it, or is it because of your background and what you do, you thought, fuck it, I'm just gonna try and keep some form of normality to get through this? It was a combo of both. I um I needed to I needed to approach it in a way that um sort of resonated with me. So for me, it was largely about um educating myself as quickly as I could. So I needed to understand you know, what are liver metastases? How's that going to affect my day-to-day? What type of chemo regime? Is there anything that I can do to improve the delivery? And that's kind of where I spent a lot of my early time focusing on reading research around particular type of exercise at the time of infusion. So I'd take in little foot, foot pedal things into, my, into, my, into the chemo ward and I'd sit in the chair on the hour and just pedal my legs at a pretty low intensity. You didn't, I didn't want to do it, but I just... I liked the idea that it was being, it was increasing blood flow and the delivery of the chemo into the cancer tumor, and there's there's heaps of research sort of supporting that. And for me, that was like, all right, let's let's, I, I really want to focus on yes, the mental approach to exercise, and you know, I give myself a, 
it's almost like a psychological cuddle when I train. I feel great when you train in intensity, and and um, so I wanted. I didn't want to deprive myself of that. So I needed to find ways to train effectively. But then also, if I could get more out of the treatment, that made sense. And my oncologist was behind it as well. Um, luckily, with my wife in the medical game, I had other people in my corner that I could sort of bounce ideas off and point me in the right direction. And um, so that was, yeah, that was the, the aim. My whole aim of chemo was to get through the eight rounds because the, the oncologist sold it as we're going to try and napalm you, mate. Like we're really going to try and knock you out because you're fit enough at the moment and we don't want to hold anything back. Let's see if we can really stop it and shrink things so that we can get you on the table. I know they've said surgery isn't an option, but, if, if you have a really strong response to chemo, it might be a, it might be a go, which ended up being the case. So I had a, had a scan after the sixth round and it was about a, um, about a 30% reduction in most of the spots until the spots had, had gone completely, couldn't see them on the scan. And it was enough to, for the oncologist to go, right, I think surgery might be the go. We can't find anyone locally. I'm in Newcastle, so sort of a regional um, centre head down to Sydney and see what you can come up with. And um, we went down, we got knocked back from the first guy. He was keen to operate, but they take it to a panel of other, you know, other surgeons and radiologists and thing. And they said, no, nah, too risky. Um, there's another treatment option. They wanted some radio thrown in there. Um, but the surgeon was pretty pissed off with that. He's like, oh, you know, I really think I could have done it, but go and see this guy down at RPA. It's a cancer specific hospital next to it. At Chris O'Brien Lifehouse. I reckon he'll do it and uh, turned out to be the case. We're all down and saw him and he said, you know, this is, it's a difficult surgery, but we do difficult every week. So um, you're at the right spot and I reckon we can do it. And he just laid out like a, a nine month plan. He's like, I want to take, we're gonna, you know, your, your life limiting thing at the moment is your liver. All right. It's, in, it's been knocked around. And it's in a bad way. We want to leave the bowel for the moment. We'll come back and get that in a sec. Let's just get rid of all the crap out of your liver. So he took 75% of my liver which is a huge amount of volume. Um, and then the liver regrows, thankfully. Uh, oh, yeah. fuck. I was like, 75%, that's like forever. That's fucked. No, no. So it's a, it's a regenerating organ, which is um, super beneficial for me. Um, and it's amazing. It grew back to its normal size on the scan within about six weeks. Like, so, what? Yeah, what yeah. Was that? I had no right. idea. Yeah, yeah, incredible. I mean, its full function took a little bit longer than that, but um, but yeah. So I went in and he cut me open a big, you know, they call it a hockey stick incision, a big, massive sort of arcing thing across my abs, and um, and then took that out, and then I recovered for seven weeks, and then I went back in and did a robotic, um, it's called a low anterior bowel resection. They took out 30 centimetres of my large bowel right down the bottom of it where the, where the tumour was because they've got to get, you know, a margin either side. So I took that out and then I recovered for another eight weeks and then went in for another three months of chemo for mop-up where they um, just sort of get all the residual stuff out. And then I sat in a scan machine after all that thinking, like I've given it a fair crack and, and that's been a solid 12 months. And then it was exactly 12 months to the day I sat in the specialist office and he said, mate, I can't find anything. It's nil evidence of disease. I think it's all gone. Come back in three months and we'll, uh, we'll keep checking. And I've had one of them. So I've had another three month follow up and then I've got my next one next week. So um, that's the, that's the immediate term for me. It's been a crazy old ride, but 
pretty sweet story. Mate, that's insane. What about your like mindset? You talk about you're going into one surgery, you come back, you go straight into another, you go another round of chemo. How did you stay positive? Like, I, I don't, I'm yeah. so impressed listening to your story. I'd, mm. I'd fall into a heap of shit. I yeah, think. me too. Yeah. I, I think um, COVID, as crazy as it was, because COVID was in the mix, it was just kind of ramping up in about three weeks before um, the surgery. Um, everyone was in lockdown anyway. So it wasn't as though I was missing stuff out and, you know, missing out on things. Everyone was just sort of going through their own bit of pain. And and I I couldn't have any visitors. That was tough. So my wife, Claire, and my daughter, Olive, I got a, you know, it was then three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, were up in Newcastle and I was down in Sydney. Couldn't have anyone in to come and see me. I had a couple of mates just come to the window and, you know, wave as we chatted on, on Facebook. That was that was as good as... Um, as good as it got for me for interaction. So my, my headspace wavered um, up and down uh, at various stages. But I think one of the major things that I did, learning from my 40th weekend, I realised that I needed people around me that cared and were willing to, you know, willing to support me remotely. So I created a little private Instagram account. This is when Nick Crocker sort of came in pretty handy as well. And, and um, I just set up my own little, almost like an accountability tool um, and posted things on there for one of two reasons. I knew my motivation and my drive was going to waver throughout the journey. So, um, you know, using that as a tool by, you know, setting some goals, whether they be fitness or, you know, even in, on the, uh, in the hospital bed, just saying, you know, got to go and get 10 laps today around the ward and I'd get 30 messages back going, go on, up you get, get around, good job and, you know, give me high fives. So I had that remote support there, which is it's kind of what we teach as PTs. That's what it's all about, accountability and creating behaviour change. So I just sort of tapped into that untapped resource that was there and just used social media as a guide. But that process also took a lot of the pressure off my family, trying to keep people updated and having to live through it. Um, so it kind of served two, two purposes, that, that side of things. But, yeah, I mean, motiv- motivation was, was really hard. I, I listened to a hell of a lot of TED Talks uh, on trying to work out, you know, day-to-day strategies to get me up and moving. I had a window in the morning between about 8 and 10 while chemo was going on. That's where I felt the best. So that was my, my opportunity to exercise, and quite often that would be you know, walking my daughter to, to daycare down the road or and then, you know, spend the rest of the day on the couch watching the, you know, Echuca races or whatever, like just having a bit of a bit of downtime um, and taking my mind off it, watching a hell of a lot of Netflix and playing the drums. I got a, you know, I bought myself a crazy um, electrical kit um, for, uh, for my 40th, knowing that I'm going to have a lot of house time. So I, I just um, whack the Spotify on, put the headphones in, and then I get escapism from there it got pretty sketchy though my skills were pretty ordinary yeah, what type of what type of artist are you covering? Uh, it's mostly heavy i've got it's it's kind of like the rage against machine tool you know i'm a kid of the, the late 90s type um you know heaviness and and some local local stuff in there some grinners and, and i actually i listened to a podcast you had with johnny too good she had so yeah you know throw a bit of that in um from time to time but just that's the beauty of music. I found you, that's that's pure escapism. You can't play the drums if you're not listening to the music. And when you're listening to the music, everything else is quiet. 
So that to me was uh, was really, yeah, it was an unexpected benefit. I got pretty sloppy and that was the, you know, the chemo, you get a bit of neuropathy, so some tingling in the hands and feet. So the quality went downhill, but it's returned um, and, you know, feeling pretty good. Not that I can play any, any of the tool tracks, but anyway, it's good fun. That's right. Locke doesn't have any musical talent either. I've got zero musical ability, but yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. That's yeah, right. Just yeah. throw it through the yeah, under the bus there. No dramas. <laughs> what about unexpected unexpected challenges or like, I can imagine that along that period of time, there would have been period, things that popped up that no matter how much you felt like you're on top of things or trying to be positive or on the front foot, there would have been the unexpected challenges or things that popped up. You're like, fuck, I've got to deal with this. Was there anything that, that stands out and, and how did you go about dealing with it? Yeah, I reckon the, the one that stands out immediately is after the liver resection, um, about three weeks after in recovery, one day I got out of the shower and just had a look in the mirror and my vein down the side of my neck was really distended, like popping out. Well, that doesn't look too solid. So I went over and, and walked out and showed my wife. She's like, get in the car, we're up to, up to the John, we're up to the hospital. Um, it turned out I had a, a like a, um, a DVT, like a thrombosis in around the port site where they deliver my chemo. Um, and so there was a big blockage. Three of my veins up there are, are partially occluded. So, yeah, which was pretty scary. So they whacked me on some injections for the next couple of months that I needed to, to give myself, so morning and night. And it also put a line through a lot of the training that I was doing. So I couldn't lift above my head and I couldn't work above certain heart rates. So the intensity had to drop and I was trying to recondition myself for the next surgery. And then this big barrier gets put in my way. I'm like, far out, how am I going to, you know, work around this one? So that, that was a kick in the guts really. Um, I thought I was, I got through the worst of it and then starting to feel good. And then, yeah, I just had that. So I'm still on blood thinners, which I, I work around and I kind of try to ignore still stares me in the face every time I look in the mirror at the gym. You can see it. It's still, you know, it's still distended and, and it's always in the back of my head. But that was a, that was a big physical barrier um, for sure. The other one was probably at the back end of the bowel resection. I spent 10 days in hospital afterwards and I just couldn't shit. And it was like that was the only thing. My bloods were looking good from about day four and I just couldn't, couldn't get it out. And for me super painful um, to the point where I look like a pregnant, like, like end stage pregnancy hobbling around and, you know, we can go pretty deep here, but yeah, let's go there. I, I spent multiple times um, in the bathroom trying to get it out with myself, like finger, glove on, trying to remove it. Just real sobering moments there for a couple of days where I was like, this is not, this is not living. And then jumping on Facebook and seeing everyone complaining about, you know, homeschool and their kids and those sort of things, which sort of bring me back to life. But um, oh, Barry, worried about your fucking homeschool and your kids. I'm fingering my own asshole here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. And it's funny, like I can laugh about it now, but my God, there was so much, so much angst and, um, and pain and you know there's people going through this kind of stuff day in day out it just you know it doesn't get brought to brought to the forefront it's probably reasons for that but you know i've you know i don't, I don't mind sharing i realize that there's people going through this i'm quite an advocate for 
I've got to be an advocate for my approach because I can't be an advocate for early detection because I didn't have any bloody signs. So for me, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, you've been, you've been dealt a rough hand, how are you going to cope with it and just find strategies to overcome, use your networks and, um, and be constantly pivoting in this world and just throwing some shit at you. And then you're all right, let's just find a way around it and keep pushing. You mentioned early signs, like you, you, you come out, you straight away, you got stage four. What are some of the things that other people in your situation might've found as an early sign? And why don't you think that you, is it because yeah. you're fit and healthy and you're doing other things that you don't think that they showed or is it just a bad yeah. luck case? No, I reckon um, I'd always thought of bowel cancer as a, you know, an old person's disease and, you know, even the screening guidelines is like, all right, once you get to 45, if you've got a cancer history, maybe it's time to get your scope and go from there. And then we're not even mailing them out now until you're 50. So by then, I wouldn't have made it to 50. So I was certainly falling through the cracks there. Um, but the, I mean, the common signs for, for early, early onset bowel cancer is definitely a change in bowel habits, um, blood in the stool, so actually seeing blood on the toilet paper, um, abdominal cramping, you know, and a lot of those things are pretty vague. Like, you know, you have from time to time, you have your big weekends or, you, you know, you go a little bit aggressive at Indian one night and you're like, oh, that's going to seat me for a couple of days. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's a, it's a scary old, um, it's a scary old thing that the bowel cancer screening, but I guess it's just being on top of it and knowing the things to look for. And if it's a, a sudden change and it's lingering, then head down to the GP. They can pick up, pick it up pretty quick. And early detection's great. Late detection, not great. It's the second biggest cancer killer behind lung cancer. Um, but weirdly, it's 11th in funding in Australia. So it's, yeah, there's a big disparity there that we're trying to sort of balance out. But um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a nasty one. There's people beating it. I'm going to be one of them. So I'm just going to, you know, keep going. I feel fit now. So regardless of what the scan says next week, I'm ready to go again if I need to. Um, and that's that's going to be my approach. I just keep turning up to the start line in the best physical shape that I can be in um, and keep keep going. Tell us about, have there been any other people reach out to you going through a similar thing that have been like, well, I love what you're doing. Your approach is inspiring me. And does that sort of just make you go, well, there's, there's, there's other people here. I want to help as many people as I can. Is that yeah, sort of in yeah. your mindset as you're going through this? Yeah, it's such a careful space to exist in because you don't want to give people hope. And every cancel, every well, you do, hope is a hope is super powerful. But every cancer presents differently. Every bowel cancer is very different. It talks to different parts of your bodies depending on where it's located. It's completely different. So it's not not a one size fits all type approach. So this worked for me. It's going to work for you. Um, but early on, I read a I read a book by Dr. Kelly Turner called Radical Remissions. And it's, she's just gone around and done the studies. Um, she's interviewed thousands of stage three and stage four cancer survivors. And she come up with a, a list of nine attributes that everyone showed. So a lot of them might've showed two or three, but there were some overlapping um, characteristics that she realized. And it was things like, um, you know, create supportive networks, um, uh, exercise is important, diet manipulations, at a short, you know, as soon as you get to die, get diagnosed, 
make drastic changes to your diet because you're trying to change your internal ecosystem, whatever you've been doing previously, regardless of how healthy it is, it's allowed the cancer to thrive. So shock it by doing something completely different. And that for me was, you know, pretty important. Um, so I did the same thing, I, you know, binned all the red meat, processed meat, sugar, obviously dropped the alcohol. I went three full year without alcohol, celebrated my, my good scan with a, with a schooner and a sausage roll, which is delicious. <laughs> yes. Um, I love that. Yeah. It was beautiful. Um, but yeah. And then went sort of plant-based protein went pretty crazy. Um, and recorded actually it was one of your one of your interviewees i think it might have been nick or it was either nick or michael Backo, um talking about recording everything for their day like you know you know itemizing their day to the almost to the minute i did that through my chemo to the point of like everything i put in a full food diary but also my exercise my bowel habits my medications that i was taking how I felt, rated myself, wrote down all the, like everything. It's a full on Excel spreadsheet. And it was, it was kind of fun to do um, for the five days that I was being infused. So that, that made sense. But what it did do, I realized that each week, cause you forget, like you forget what I did two weeks that worked. So um, you find the things that worked. I'm like, oh, that meal didn't work at all. Do not have any spice. Cause that was disastrous coming out. So um, yeah, manipulating things. And I realized very quickly that each round that I had, each fortnight, I was reducing the amount of medication I was having. So I started off having 34 tablets in my first fortnight. So that was in the first five days. So that was shitloads of like pain meds and um, anti-nausea meds and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Because I was loaded up with the bucket at the start. And they're like, this is for that. This is for that. Like, just go crazy. And then by the end of it, so after eight rounds, I took six so I dropped it from 34 down to six because I'd learned to manage the symptoms a lot better. I knew that exercise would help my nausea. I knew that if I was getting tingling in the feet and hands, I could go and play the drums or pick up play, PlayStation and play some Tiger Woods golf and, you know, just doing some random treatment um, that was within my control. Um, so that was good just to know that every medication that I put in my body had to go through my liver and it was already going through enough anyway. So, I, yeah, it, was, it wasn't until I, I, I recorded all of that stuff that I realized that oh, maybe that, there's, some, there's some benefit to that, actually writing down stuff, being accountable, and then reviewing it. Um, yeah, and, and it, it worked. Well, it worked for me. It worked for That's me. It's unreal. What about the changes to your diet? Like, let's talk about, I'd love, obviously, coming from a fitness background, I can imagine you would have had an all right diet previously. Yeah, what, what, what were some of the changes that you decided to go? Like, what was when you mentioned shock the system, change it drastically? What yep. was the change? Like, what was on the what was on the menu? Um, so a lot of it was driven by a consultation I had down at Chris O'Brien Lifehouse um, with an integrative oncologist. So she's oncology trained, cancer specialist, but looks at everything else around in the periphery. So everything from naturopathy to exercise to reflexology. Um, supplementation, um, medical, uh, medicinal cannabis, like the whole space as a supportive therapy for whatever you're going through, your chemo, your radiation. So I sat down with her for an hour and, and we just looked at research um, and the really strong research in the bowel cancer space. So it's like we know that, you know, high intake of red meat um, is predisposes you to an increased risk of, of 
um, of bowel cancer. So let's just remove the red meat straight away. Um, all your processed meats, not highly nutritious anyway. So your bacons, your hams, your turkeys, all that sort of stuff. Let's go crazy on um, organics for a bit. So let's go down to your organic markets and buy your fruit and veggies from there. So that was um, expensive, but beneficial. I wasn't buying meat, which is expensive. But I was buying shitloads of, of, of fresh fruit and veggies. So um, that was great and helping local, you know, local produce. Um, the alcohol I thought would be a challenge. Not that I was a huge drinker. I would say I had an overzealous relationship with alcohol in my 20s as most Aussie males do um but I can't you know you step that back and you know existing in the fitness space you can't you can't sometimes they can roll up hung over and try and train people so um you know throughout my 30s that that had tapered back and obviously being a dad um you know other than a beer watering the lawn and you know maybe a glass of red wine at night my, my boozy days were, were kind of behind me um other than catching up with the boys for a, a boozy weekend um, you know, on the golf course or whatever. But um, I actually didn't find the year off alcohol too challenging. Um, I think it was, it was, I actually found it um, almost, I was almost repulsed by the idea of drinking it weirdly. When I look back now, um, you could smell a red wine and it was off, but um, yeah, I think the, the change in me, from nutrition and I still linger with it as well. So I'm, I wouldn't, definitely wouldn't call myself a vegan, but I went down that pathway for a bit and played around with just removing all, um, you know, animal products, um, found that too hard. So sort of have settled on more of like a pescatarian that eats chicken. So shitloads of fish and then have my chicken in there as well. Um, and a hell of a lot of veggies. So that's kind of what I'm settling on at the moment. But then if I head down to the pub and I do want a schooner of, you know, of non-alcoholic beer and a burger, I don't, you know, I've earned it. I've earned it. So I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. Heaps normal. Heaps normal, mate. Yeah. We'll have to get you a couple of heaps normals, mate. You been on? I'm yet to try it, but I'm, uh, yep, yep, line me up. I'm in there. We'll get, we'll get a slab to you, 100%. They're the best, man, honestly. It's the best tasting drop oh, I can go on around. Yeah, beautiful. I've seen it popped out. It's amazing. Um, it really jumps off the, the shelf, actually. It's really easy to, to look at. It's one of those ones you scan past the fridge going, what the hell? Uh, but ordinarily, I'm, I'm in there buying stuff for my wife, so, <laughs> you know, um, which is kind of unfortunate. But anyway, she hasn't adopted the uh, strict diet approach that I uh, potentially have. But that's, you know, that's her own battle, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so don't don't throw don't throw yeah. stones, mate. Don't throw stones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I'll> come back. <laughs> You've done no, it. Seriously, to talk, talking about heaps normal, like they're they're our partner of the show, and one of the questions we we ask around this topic is. What is your version of heaps normal? Like you've been through all this different stuff. What's your thing that gives you energy back in your life? What's the thing that keeps you sane, gives you that little bit of a spark um, yeah. when you need it? Yeah, probably two, which I've already touched on, is the exercise and the music. Um, the music takes me back um, to back to my school days. And, you know, I used to be in a band, uh, you know, a uh, Let's go a good band. Yeah, a good band. Um, we weren't a great band, but... What would you play? Fun. What type of music? Uh, again, heavy, like kind of in the... Um, I guess back then it was called New Metal, as in N-U. Yeah, you had the Linkin Park corn vibes, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So heading, heading down that pathway, which was, um, 
which was pretty sweet and you know really good just to play gigs and and uh, you know ultimate you know a little bit of travel in there as well and good stories looking back and very fond memories um and now just to have that kit and you know olive's at an age now she's five so i you know i can get her start teaching at the drums and and i can see she's got rhythm in there even you know busting out some moves from frozen the other day and and she's got the ability to keep the to keep the beat so i, I know there's an inner drummer in there so I, i'm going to tap into that and that's a, that's a little project of mine over the next you know however long um to to keep chipping away at, at you, know. you seen that movie whiplash yeah incredible yeah, incredible. yeah. Oh, man. yeah. yeah. i don't know if he if he's trained um if he's a trained drummer, the, the actor in that, but it's phenomenal drumming. Like, yeah, yeah. Miles Teller, he just goes berserk, yeah, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, incredible. But yeah, I mean, the music and the and the exercise are the two that hold me together. They're kind of firmly rooted in my um, in my psyche um, to keep me balanced and normal. And then, yeah, catching up with mates. We're still in the punters club. They all live in Sydney or Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, actually. Uh, actually, one of the boys is down in Torquay, so close to where you are. Um, oh, really? And uh, yeah, so he's that that keeps us close. Just talking shit on WhatsApp um, about football and all sorts of things. Um, yeah, that's 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 normal to me, and uh, the you don't realise you miss it until you're not allowed to train at that intensity or, you know, you don't have um, the ability to jump on the kit. And, you know, those days in hospital were, were really hard, um, really hard to push through. But, you know, there's people doing it worse than me. So just, uh, yeah, you take, take stock every now and then and just realise that, you know, life's pretty sweet. It's pretty good at the moment. Just sent my daughter and kicked my daughter and wife out a little earlier for them to go to school and, Today I might wander down to Merriweather and go for a uh, little swim in the in the ocean. Go for a light jog. That'd be me. That's pretty good. What about at the moment that you found out that this was happening to you? Like your your view on life and and like what it is. It must have just shifted completely. Yeah. Like for, like from like just rocking your world in terms of like the real subconscious what like thoughts that you might have about life and your experience on life that would have changed dramatically. Yeah. Yeah, I had to go. Um, I had to go very inward and I'm not, I'm not a real spiritual guy any Well, I, I probably have become that. Um, and not spiritual as in religious, but just spirit, spiritual and looking more existential and trying to work out, all right, you know, you've got to go big picture and you've got to be a bit selfish. Um, and my wife, um, will she enjoy me saying this? Yeah, I'm going to say it anyway. She probably won't listen to be honest. Um, <laughs> But she said, you know, what do you, what do you worry, you know, in our, our early chats, and this still sort of resonates with me, um, in our early chats, those first couple of days in diagnosis, and, you know, we're talking everything about, you know, Olive's future and, and early access to super and, you know, what you know, life insurance and all those little heavy, heavy chats that you shouldn't be having in your, in your 40s um, and, and probably not even in your 50s. But, um, you know, we were... I'm thankful that we had this conversation, but she, she kind of said, you don't have to worry about us. You're not going to be here. And at the time I'm like, Oh, that's fucking heavy to take. Jeez, that's rough. But you got to look at it from a, 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 almost a selfish type approach and just realize that now matters while I'm here now matters. So 
I need to I need to find a way to create memories and and create a legacy with Olive that she can look back fondly. She's old enough now to remember. I remember when I was five, so I know she's going to be looking back. I don't want her to remember the sick dad. I want her to remember the one that can, you know, I can run as fast as she can ride a bike. You know, those little things that the day-to-day um, and creating those memories is now at the forefront of my mind. And I don't think you get to do that if you just exist in your in your in your shallow existence. It's not until you get whacked down with news like this, or you know, you get dragged down in, into the depths, and you got to find something to drag you back up. And that's what it was for me, getting back to all right now. Now matters, and it's got to. Fuck. Mate, <laughs> uh, it, it, it provides a good perspective, doesn't it? it? Just, I don't know, man. It's fucking. So next week you got the the next scan. If it's all touch wood, everything's all good and, and it's good news. What's what's on the agenda for you? What are you thinking about for the rest of twenty twenty one? So rest of twenty twenty one is continue my work. Like I'm only working two and a half days a week at the at the Institute of Fitness. So that for me um, is the perfect amount. I want to get better at my golf game. That's that's on the list. Um, What's your weak point now? Putting or chipping or short driving? game? Yeah, my weak point at the moment is getting time to play. That's that's the that's <laughs> the weak point. Um, oh, look, getting off the tee is 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 ridiculous. I just can't. I'm I'm finding myself in the in the bush and then just trying to chip out and then hitting a five iron to four foot and then two putting for a bogey. You're like. That's that's not that's not golf. Well, it's enjoyable anyway. I get extra steps up playing that way. Um, but for me, actually, we're going on a holiday with uh, with Nick and Julia um, and their family. So we're heading up up north to Cabarita. Um, and I saw him playing tennis the other day. He put up a little video. So the challenge is getting thrown down publicly now. I'm going to see if I can uh, see if I can knock him off from a tennis court. Um, and then I don't know, just those little little weekend aways, and you know, I, I get to live at the moment unlike I've ever lived before, which is in three month chunks. I'm hoping they spread out my scans a little longer, but at the moment it's just like, all right, get through this one. What can we do in the next three months? That's pretty exciting and a little bit out of the normal. Um, my wife is currently waiting for her final consultant exam results, so the last exam she's got to sit as a as a, an emergency medicine doctor. So um, once she gets the tick of approval there, there's nothing in the way um, for the next couple of months. And then that's kind of exciting. Did, yeah. did it help having a doctor at home or did it not help? Oh, um, it probably helped me, um, but Claire being, um, having spent probably the last 15 years in the books, doing an undergraduate degree in health science and then choosing to do medicine and then, being a junior doctor and working her way through the ranks there. She's guided by medicine and, and or, or research in medicine and statistics and what the, you know, what the, the papers are saying. And a lot of my story is anecdotal and anecdotal has a very small part to play in medicine. A lot of it's evidence-based and obviously, cause you know, you got to learn the science and this is the treatment plans, but a lot of my treatment was, uh, and a lot of the research was given to people that are late sixties that you know have all these conditions. So it didn't really fit. I had a look at the the recommendations for stage four um, cancer uh, cancer sufferers in exercise, and I actually had to cut about a third of my training out 
because just to meet the, re the recommendations, which I wasn't prepared to do. So I'm like, all right, I need, I need to approach this from my own. I know my body best um, and it can't be compared to a 68-year-old. You know, it's just I need to look at it from my own perspective. And, and she understood that. Um, she was great when I, when I was getting lost in the, in the words for reports and scans and things. Um, she was able to analyse that. And then the beautiful medical community being able to reach out to people with different specialties and, and realise that um, we can create a really, really strong network around me and I can get my oncologist, but I've also got a, another oncologist we live next door to out in Orange. We spent four years out in um, regional New South Wales. So I can ring him up and ask him all the sketchy questions and then go in really prepared for my actual oncology consult. And then, um, you know, we've got a gastroenterologist who's a mate uh, that we can consult from time to time. I've got a dietitian that lives over in London that I can speak to. Like this, we've just created a network that was largely on the back of Claire's, um, Claire's knowledge. So that really built, built a team around me that was all focused on the one goal and, and, and it was curative rather than let's just see how long you last in the hope that something comes. How about let's dominate what you can control and then get really good surgeons to cut it out, which, you know, they're, they're some of the best, um, the two surgeons I had, some of the best in the country. Um, and they've got me, they've done exactly what they, they laid out. So that nine-month plan that the liver surgeon laid out has gone to a T pretty much spot on. So, it's, yeah, it's incredible. And it's moving so quickly. That's what's exciting, the cancer space and treatments. And so many trials going on. I just know that, you know, the longer I stick around and feel fit and healthy, other shit's going to come in and they're like, oh, there's a new treatment, there's a new, new, new way to get rid of this stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm in a much better place than I was a year ago and, um, and who knows where I'll be next year and I just know I'm going to be here. <laughs> I can love that. Uh, you mentioned 11th, 11th in funding bowel cancer compared to <clears throat> but the second biggest killer is this a space that you see yourself helping provide more awareness to? Is that why you're choosing to talk about your story and, and give back and share some of the learnings that you've experienced over your journey? Uh, it, yeah, it is. It is. And the funding is such a hard thing because there's so many, so easy for it to get lost. And cancer as a whole gets, it gets some amazing um, philanthropic, you know, donations and, 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 and a lot of TV time and, and everything. I'm actually finding more, drive in working on a almost like a micro level and actually speaking one-on-one -on -one with fellow sufferers and providing um you know even just simple things like exercise programs i've probably got four or five people under it under the age of 40 with stage four with liver metastases that i'm in consult with um some up in brisbane got a mate in in camden that um that reached out again to southwest sydney um and he you know presented the exact same thing. He had actually liver, lung and peritoneal meds. So he had it in three different areas of his body, including the bowel. Told, nup, surgery, you got to start palliative chemo. I said, you know, hopefully the chemo works. Go and see my surgeon because I reckon he'll be able to do it. Sure enough, went down, saw, and he's getting some, he's only got two very small meds left in his, in his lungs. Everything else is clear. So I, I think, you know, that whole second opinion approach in medicine is, is, is pretty taboo, but oh God, if I didn't, if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be here. 
Um, I had to go and get second opinions and, and keep keep them accountable. Um, would I have done that without Claire being in the in the game? Probably not. I wouldn't have been as as um, as educated and and being able to put, sort of push their boundaries as much. And it's handy having her in the in the consults as well. You know, knowing that all right, she's a doctor. Maybe I've you know I've got to be on the game here. So that's that's beneficial as well. Mate, it's been so nice to, to chat to you and hear your story. Like, um, uh, it's sort of blown me away a little bit. I don't yeah. Know. Uh, but I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there in, in the world going through, you know, horrible shit like, like you are. And I think hearing your story and inspiring hope and some of the, sharing some of the tools and techniques that you've used to, to, you know, to get through this, you know, touch wood so far, um, it's amazing. I think it's just an amazing story to, to share. And we, we're so lucky Nick put us in touch with you, man. And uh, hopefully we can catch up for a, a heaps normal sometime soon, mate. You have to holiday down to Torquay. Bring the fam. Visit, mate. Yeah, mate, it's on the list. And um, thanks for the opportunity. It's been quite, um, it's like a psychologist session, actually. This is lovely. Yeah. Should pay you 200 bucks for this. <laughs> I was going to say, they, they charge a fair bit. Yeah, they, they make more than us. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are Medicare, you know, they take Medicare cards. Yeah. Oh, All right, I'll send it through. No, <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to look into that. Oh. <laughs> Really appreciate Anthony coming on the pod and and sharing his story and make sure you go fucking follow him on Instagram. He is the man.